tnholler.com. Appreciate you joining us. We have hollers all over the state. As you guys know, Murray County, Coffee County, Knoxville, Chattanooga, Tri-Cities, Memphis, everywhere. That's because of your support. We really appreciate it. So chip in if you can. And another dude to follow, including the hollers, is at JY Sexton. This is a guy who I am a fan of. I've been following him for a long time. He has appropriately been sounding the alarm about the perilous state that our country is in. A few things just to plug real quick. He's got a podcast called The Muckrake Podcast, and he's a writer. He's got a book out called American Rule that came out in September. He may have even written another book since then. This guy's prolific. I'm about halfway through the next one. Okay. Well, I mean, listen, it's one of those things where everything's like going down in flames. You got to get some stuff done. You got to get some stuff done. Ash, you know? Well, that is what we're going to talk about here today. And everybody can comment along. We can see your comments. JY and I both are sort of of the belief, like we're in a really bad spot right now as a country. You know, we're watching these voter suppression laws get passed. We are watching half the country tell us they don't believe in free and fair elections, that they are basically pro-fascism. The worst thing that could possibly happen is to sit a Democratic president. We're in real trouble here. It seems like we're watching it happen in slow motion. And JY has been sounding the alarm for a long time. Weren't you going to Trump rallies like really early on? Yeah. I. Uh, the only reason like anybody knows who in the hell I am is <laughs> because I, uh, I I started going to rallies back in 2015, 2016. I, I thought I was going to write about a really boring presidential election. And I started going to these Trump rallies and it was immediately clear that there was something really ugly brewing. And it was like, it was this really awful thing, man, because, you know, back then they were just putting Trump on TV two and a half, three hours at a time. Yep. It was just a, it drove ratings like crazy. And everybody was treating it like it was some sort of a sideshow. It was the most hilarious thing in the world. There was no possible way, of course, that he was going to gain the nomination, much less the presidency. And it was back in 2016 that I, I you know, I was in there with uh, with my people. I recognized these people. I knew these people. And they would talk to me and they would tell me, they'd be like, no, this is what we're into. This is what we're doing. And it was very, very clear in 2016 five years ago that this that this train was coming into the station yeah and and i remember you saying that and you were like going from rally to rally and basically saying this is happening i actually went to one i've been to one it was here in nashville and my experience like you go in there and it's kind of a normal situation mostly 99 white you know everybody's standing around then he comes out and like the monster comes out in everybody like the anger you could feel the room change is that how you felt? Did it feel like it would bring out the worst in everybody when he would take the stage? Yeah, it depended. So it was earlier on in the campaign. Um, I think a lot of people would come and sort of rubberneck. You know what I mean? They wanted to see like what he was saying. It was sort of uh, in, in a way it was almost like a concert. You know, uh -huh. they got to go and, and and they wanted to see him, you know, say that Mexico was going to pay for the wall and lock her up and all of that. And what you would end up finding is that Trump, and this is the important thing because everybody wants to go ahead and pretend like Trump was the pinnacle of the problem, right? That he was the issue. If we can just deplatform him, if we can get him out of the White House, everything will be fine. But the truth is that Trump has always been a symptom of a much larger 
disease. And the people who would go to this thing and, and you know, I've been doing this research on fascism and looking at everything. Everybody wants to believe that fascistic anti-democratic movements are people being brainwashed. The speaker puts them under a spell and they're just given all this information that suddenly like takes them over. That's not true. You can't actually brainwash people. What you can do is tap into something that is already there. And there was an anti-democratic fascistic seed in this country. And we can get into where it came from and we can get in depth on that. But Trump basically told these people, it's totally okay that you feel this way. You're not alone. The other people, the people who are trying to tell you that this, this isn't okay. They're the criminals. They're the ones who need to be taken down. And as a result, he gave voice to it. He gave momentum to it. He gave permission to it. And when he would come out, he would do a thing. And if you go back and watch, I, I don't want people to go back and watch these rallies because they are garbage, right? But he would start to move down the fascistic or white supremacist road, and then he would stop, and then they would go with it. They would go ahead and they would fill out the thing that he could not say. And so then all of a sudden you're sitting in the crowd and you're talking about not just locking people up. You're talking about executions. You're talking about coups. You're talking about like racial and homophobic slurs everywhere. And so, yeah, he absolutely. I mean, he he basically was a match that got thrown at a lot of gas that had leaked out. So let's talk about the gas. You said this has been there. This is a thing that is inside of Americans. What is that? Where does it come from, do you think? Uh, it comes from the very beginning. I mean, that, that's the really hard thing to talk about is, um, you know, I, I, I think when people look at Trump in the last few years, they want to believe it's some sort of an aberration. This is just something that that occurred and it can, you know, the genie can be put back in the bottle. The truth is that America was founded on white supremacy. It was founded on the exploitation of people of color. And it was also founded on an aristocratic attempt to control poor people. And all of those things were combined. And like, you know, it can exist for a while while people don't understand what's going on. But there are these cycles in American history where people start putting together what's going on. And then it's necessary for violence to put them back down. And so when you look through American history, I mean, it's one genocidal white supremacist violent act after another suppression of the working class, the poor, whatever you want to call them. So it goes in these cycles. And, and you know, we want to believe that like America destroyed fascism in the 20th century, which is absolute absurdity. We actually birthed fascism. We were one of the original gestations of fascism, and we inspired Nazi Germany. We inspired fascist Italy. This is part of who we have been, and living in denial of that and living in denial. I mean, we, we, we currently are basically still in two wars that have been going on for nearly two decades at this point. One of the wars has been going on for two decades, and you can't help but have these wars and these actions and these attempts to conquer and suppress people, they come back. I mean, you know, we, we created a mercenary class in this country that would go out and fight in the desert. And now that's like looking out my front window three, four times a day. I see people drive by with mercenary fascistic iconography. And it's a culture that continues to cultivate and cultivate. So pretending that Trump was the person who created this is to live in denial of who we are and who we've actually been. Mother Jones has a probably an article, but the podcast is what I heard today about that there's a direct connection between like war, the end of wars and domestic violence, domestic terrorism, basically how, you know, our over militarization puts that 
feeling in people and then they got nowhere to put it. So they come back home and they start looking for a place to put it. And what the oath keepers and the militias are giving them is a place to put that. And so that's why they're, they're thriving right now. And, you know, you can't militarize the way we do and then have it just kind of stop when you want it to, it keeps going in a lot of different ways. And, and that's a big part of what we're seeing. And I think that's what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and there's, there's even a term for it. Um, if anybody wants to ruin their afternoon, it's called Foucault's boomerang. And the entire <laughs> idea is that colonizers, like the, the, the major powers that go out and will like take over a country and suppress, oppress them and exploit them. Inevitably, whatever they did to that country, they'll bring it back. You know what I mean? Like eventually it's like everything from the way that they they uh, go after their enemies, the military style, the police state actions, all of a sudden those come back. And so what we're watching now, and, and because it's a really big, weird, complicated thing, and I don't know how deep in the weeds you want to get into it, but we we've spent all of our money and our power in trying to go out and conquer countries and gain their resources. Well, eventually what ends up happening, and I don't have to tell you this, we spend all of our money on that stuff. We have nothing left for healthcare, education, infrastructure, human stuff, right? And because of that, all of a sudden you have radicalization here at home. You have to start like going after those people. You have to start locking them up. You have to start oppressing them. You have to start using violence against them. And it just grows and grows and grows. And now we've reached this thing. Um, there, there's a really interesting thing, I think, that's happening in America right now. And it was almost inevitable. In the past, we used to have this idea of American exceptionalism, right? Which is that we were given a mission by God and we are the good guys in history and we're the champions of justice and the universe's will, right? Well, that was a really convenient story. And it made a lot of our wars sound really, really good. Well, eventually the mask slips. And now... People aren't even pretending that that's what it's about, right? Mm -hmm. Because fascism eventually says, yeah, we do have this um, exceptionalism to us, right? But we also, we know how to get the job done. And that's what makes us great is the fact that we can win wars and that we can carry out violence and we can oppress people. And so it ends up getting into a cycle where in places like America, and America is in decline right now. America is in real crisis right now because of everything that we've done and all the things we just talked about. Now we've reached a point where it's almost inevitable that we're going to have a fascistic uprising and movement in this country. So it's it's a really terrible thing that has happened and has been created. But living in denial of it doesn't make it any better. What we're actually doing is giving space for these people to to carry this stuff out and to act like they're legitimate or they're carrying out good faith arguments while they're not. So that brings me to today and tweet that you posted that kind of got my eye yesterday. It was maybe pretending the last presidency didn't exist and that the growing fascist movement is already working in very real material terms to steal elections, overthrow democracy, and is openly talking about a coup isn't the best course of action. I get that we're tired that we just lived through years of trauma, cruelty, and abuse. I know it isn't pleasant or fun to think about festering fascism, but it's real and it's growing. Ignoring it only makes it worse. I completely agree. And, you know, I guess what I want to talk to you about is, you know, how far along are we here? Because, you know, part of me thinks, oh, well, you know, if we could just get Manchin to do away with the filibuster and HR1, but then part of me thinks, we might already be down the rabbit hole here. Like, I don't know how to come back from where we are, where, 
you know, there are my neighbors here where I could go try to talk to them about, you know, elections being stolen and they'll tell, they think it's us that's doing that, you know? And, and so there's no conversing, there's no, you know, communicating, there's no, certainly no negotiating with that. We all know Manchin is out of his mind if he thinks 10 senators are going to, 10 Republicans are going to agree with them about anything. So like, how do we come back from this? <sighs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll start with saying this before I get into anything I'm about ready to say. I remain optimistic. And listen, I, I know over over on Twitter and in my writing and on the podcast, I, I know that I, I talk about some heavy stuff. I know that. And I know that I'm not I'm not a rainbow and roses guy. <laughs> I'm not. I, I, I know that. I, I Unfortunately, this is not my role in this discourse. But I can tell you before anything I'm getting ready to say, I do have hope. And I do think that there are major things that we can do. And I think that there are possibilities that we can pull back from the brink. But I want to take exactly what you just said. What you just said about the filibuster is a really convenient narrative, right? That if we can get two human beings in terms of mansion and cinema to simply realize what's going on and to go ahead and eliminate the filibuster and do what needs to be done, that suddenly we're going to look up and we'll abate this crisis, right? All of a sudden we'll look up and like we will we'll pull back on the gear of the plane. Well, let's imagine, and by the way, Manchin is not going to back away from this filibuster thing. No. That's not who he is. No. And that's not who cinema is either. What, what The entire point, if you want to talk about the filibuster, is if you want to get things done, you have to elect some more people. That's yes. it. That's, that's the narrative that has to be put out and that's the political uh, uh, strategy. But let's say that, let's say tonight they wake up in a sweat and they're like, I have to eliminate the filibuster. We have to push this stuff. We have to push a uh, voting rights bill. We have to do this infrastructure stuff, everything, right? What happens five minutes after they do that? The right-wing media is immediately flashing all of the warning signals. They're destroying democracy. It's a coup. It's tyranny. They're, they're, they're destroying America, right? And we know that because the right has constantly done this. Even while Barack Obama, by the way, went out of his way. Aren't they saying that already? Right. That's the point. <laughs> go ahead and do that. So it's not going to suddenly be – the Republican Party does not have it within its current self to go – Tip of the cap, boys. Well no. done. You you you've won this round. We'll figure right. this out. No. That's not who they are. And 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 to be frank, this thing that we're talking about right, right now started a long time ago, and the Democratic Party has not fought this well, and they they haven't put themselves out there. Um, one of the main problems problems that's going on right now is people like you and I are having this conversation today. People are watching and they're like, I know that something is wrong. Right. I know that democracy is in trouble and that America is in trouble, in trouble. And meanwhile, Democrats are getting out. They're talking about America's got the spirit. If we can just get together and like there's a cognitive dissonance. Right. Like we're seeing here, we're talking about anti-democratic uh, uh, maneuvering. We're talking about the erosion of our democratic institutions. We're talking about actual fascism. And they will tell you. They've even started to come out recently and say, I mean, you had Tucker Carlson saying in 10 years we'll elect an open fascist. There, I mean, Kyle Rittenhouse obviously got a ton of support from people. The January 6th coup attempt has been completely laundered in 15 different directions. Mm -hmm. And all of these voting rights disenfranchisements, all of this stuff shows you what they're doing. 
And now the Mike Flynn coup thing, Trump saying he'll be back in August, the writing's on the wall. So Democrats have to come out and say and level with people and be like, there's something wrong in America because they, they they're so afraid to say that they're so afraid to say there's something actually kind of festering here that we really have to deal with. That's one thing that they have to do. But I will tell you, we're so far inside of this thing and all of our profit structures in this country are so wired to it because here's here's the sad truth this makes for great tv it makes it makes for great social media content and what we're watching right now with the right and this is another thing that trump showed them there is no consequence to being an extremist and a radical. In fact, it means you're going to make money, you're going to get more votes, you're going to get elected, you're going to have a larger platform. So then you have Marjorie Taylor Greene, you have Gates, you have all of these people who have discovered that by being an extremist and being a radical, you have everything in the world to gain. You have everything in the world to gain. So we have a system right now that is not only in denial of the situation, but it's actually wired specifically to exacerbate the problem. And in the past, the only reason we didn't have these issues more widespread is because everybody was operating based on an honor system, right? Oh, you caught me, I lied about that. I, I, I'll, I'll resign now. Oh, I did have this scandal, now I have to go away and become a private citizen. Trump got Trump did away with that. He, I, I always say to people, it's like the velociraptor in uh, um, Jurassic Park, where it's like they tested the fence. You know what right. I mean? And then they found the weakness and they got through the fence. There's no fence anymore. The fence is gone. In fact, we're so far down the road that even remembering that there was a fence feels bizarre. Right. So we are very, very far down the road and we've allowed this to grow here. We've allowed it to grow around the world. And what we have seen at this point is is all of this and I, by the way I'm, I'm looking at this comment jeff zucker is absolutely as as culpable as rupert murdoch so is less moonves so are god knows how many other types of people because trump was a bonanza he was not lying when he said the mainstream media needs me and they're addicted to me they juiced him and social media did too by the way they juiced him for years. And then all of a sudden it was a great victory that they threw him off their platforms like when he was about to be done. Yeah, and yeah. now now we're supposed to pretend like everything's fine because we don't see him all the time. We've really screwed this thing up and we are really far down the path. And I think anybody who's paying actual attention and is being honest with themselves, I, I, I think they know that at this point. I was talking to a couple of friends about this yesterday and basically saying, you know, if, if the rules were changed, so that one team's touchdowns still were worth six points and the other team's touchdowns were suddenly worth a million points. And then, like, is the game over when that team scores or was it already over when the rule changed? Like, the rules have sort of already changed. Are we going to be looking back at now as the moment when we lost it, you know, instead of having to wait until the election that Republicans don't see to Democrat? Like, I just, I, I feel like we're already there. That's how it feels to me. One of the ways I've been able to wrap my head around this is so real fast. I'm just going to open up the lens. Yeah, the, yeah. Right. So when this country was founded, the way that our government was framed was to advantage certain people, the way the Electoral College worked, the way the Senate worked, all of it. Right. It was made to advantage white, wealthy, slaveholding men of a certain right. class. Right. And by the way, if you go back and you look at the conversations about it, 
they were upfront about it. Like if you read the notes from James Madison, they're like, we do not want poor people voting. They don't know what they're doing. We'll put them in the House of Representatives and they won't be able to do anything. We'll have the Senate over here where we'll make sure everything's fine. The presidency over here. They'll think that they have rights. Right. Have rights. Okay. So now that we've established that that was the actual founding of the country, we have to talk about how we arrived at this point. There have been unbelievable struggles over the past uh, two centuries in this country, two plus centuries in this country, for people to gain voting rights, to, to gain even the beginning of a control over the government. Well, I'll tell you what, since the 1990s specifically, that control has been yanked away. Right. And so we, we basically have been living in a country where it feels like we've been able to vote on things. But meanwhile, most of our politicians have been bought and sold by the wealthiest people. So you're, you're, you're kind of saying that it's been like this for a while already. It's been like this for a while, but here is the problem. Yeah. The problem is that right now, it's not just that Republicans, and, and by the way, let's go ahead and state an absolute fact. The Republican Party is historically unpopular. Like we used yeah. to, I'm sure you you were part of these conversations in the past. Everyone used to say, oh, 45% of the country is Republican, 45% is Democrat, yeah. and 10% is independent. Yeah. That's not the case anymore. Right. There's more independents than Republicans now, I think. Right. So what you actually have at this point is you have a historically despised Republican Party. And, and, and by the way, like this jumped the firewall back in 2012. And if you go back and you look at um, they, they ended up calling it the autopsy, how they lost to Barack Obama. Right. Right. Where they and, they decided instead of appealing to more people, they were just going to rig the game. You know, but the thing is, they've. They're historically unpopular, but they're also historically good at enshrining minority rule. Right. And so what is happening at this point? And and meanwhile, and this is the thing that makes me want to pull out what little hair I have left, man, (laughs) is while they're pushing all these disenfranchisement efforts, you have like pundits and politicians who are like, this is a shrewd move. We're going to see how this pays off in the next Right. Yes. But that's not what act- what is actually happening in this country. What's actually happening in this country is that the Republican Party, through these conspiracy theories, through the, the and it's white supremacist paranoia, by the way, it's all based in the idea. And this is a fascistic conspiracy theory. Yeah, right. Yeah. Which is that there are people outside of America, which, by the way, are Jews. Right. And they're working with liberal traders and they're they're all manipulating people of color to be dangerous and overthrow everybody. Same conspiracy theory that has been around for forever and that animated fascism. Well, that conspiracy theory only has one answer, man. And that is to rewind democracy. Democracy is broken. Those people don't know what's good for them. Right. They need the elites to rule for them. And so when you start putting all these ingredients together, we're not even talking about like moving forward to a certain degree. Like it's not about winning elections anymore. It's about reestablishing what you said, which is minoritarian rule. It's about having a country. And by the way, the Republican Party is completely in the thrall of white supremacy and the wealthiest one percent of the country. It's about making sure that those people. And this is an important thing in this entire conversation. They are being bankrolled by the wealthiest people in this country who don't want anything to do with elections. They want to actually get into what I call a post-political 
place, which is where, yeah, we'll still have elections, but they don't mean anything, right? It's like in Russia with Putin. It's like they'll throw an election up, like, I don't even know how many years, and he'll win 98%. That's never in doubt. They want to get to a place in this country where we still have our rights, but they don't matter, or we're too afraid to use them. So what they're actually doing is they're rewinding the clock. And to talk about it in any other way is to pretend like any of this is a good faith strategy. This is actually about dragging America back into blatant and oppressive white supremacy and aristocratic control. And so it, it is it's a really insidious thing that we have to move beyond thinking that this is just, oh, great strategy. It's not. It's actually a, a really, really oppressive, uh, um, you know, uh, attack on people is what it is. Well, you mentioned Republicans being bankrolled by, you know, the Koch brothers of the world. We feel that very acutely here. All seven of our Republican congressmen voted to overturn the election and to cover up the insurrection. Then our two senators, one voted no on the insurrection commission and the other just, I guess she didn't show up or didn't vote, whatever she did. I'm, I don't really understand that one from Marsha because, you know, we all know where her heart was on that. Uh, you mentioned that you're optimistic. You don't sound that optimistic to me. Um, but I would say, you know, if you were talking to like the New York Times editorial board and also, you know, had the Washington Post there and the LA Times, like what would you say to them as far as like how they should be covering this differently? You know, I think they've improved a little bit over time. Yeah. You know, calling the lies out for what they were, you know, as Trump would say them and fact checking him. But it still feels like they're sort of calling a game in progress as though the rules are still normal. Well, the problem is that whatever message I would have to them would be antithetical to their worldview or the way that they see politics. Uh, a really important thing to understand that I don't think a lot of people kind of wrap their heads around because we're taught we're taught that this is a spectrum, right? That there's one side and there's another side because we're two party system. Well, the the news that you watch, the news that you read, it is from a corporatist perspective yeah. is from incredibly wealthy people. And and by the way, like, yeah, I mean, come on, I just looked in my email before I got on here and I got some dumb corporate statement that meant nothing, right? Mm -hmm. It was from a bank that obviously oppresses people and exploits people. And it's like, we love everybody and we're here to represent and blah, blah, blah. And this is one of the reasons why you see like, corporate wokeness, right? They put out these PR things. They're all about how everybody's created equal and blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, the, the only thing they care about is actually profit. Right. You actually change what's happening in this country. And this is actually one of the reasons why I am hopeful. We actually need to kind of dismantle the system as we have it right now. We have a hyper-capitalistic system. It was changed in the late 1970s uh, into the 1980s, and then specifically in the 1990s, where some people will call it globalism. Um, that that has some connotations to it, right? That, that's that got like the conspiracy theory right. connotations. I prefer hyper-capitalism, and, and basically it is a redistribution of the wealth from the bottom up. It's to take our taxes and our money and our wealth and to give it to the wealthiest because they have shown themselves to be worthy, right? We actually need to change that. 
we actually need to change the way that this country works. We need to reinvest in education, infrastructure, healthcare, people's lives, because people are miserable and they're suffering right now. So what I would say, and uh, again, I'm from Indiana. I, I come from a, a working class, poor as dirt family, factory workers, laborers, all of that. I've watched them become radicalized and it's become, it's heartbreaking. But I have to tell you something. Part of the reason that they've become radicalized is because outside of all of this that we're talking about, they have been screwed over. They actually have. Their lives have been hollowed out. Their towns have been hollowed out. Their opportunities are gone. And I keep telling people, do you want middle America and, and these conservative people to believe that climate change is real? Give them jobs at a factory that produces wind turbines. Yeah. You know, and next thing you know, they'll put they'll put a bumper sticker on the back of their truck that says green jobs right. over a Trump Pence logo. So there are multiple things that we have to do that can actually be done. I'm not telling you that you're going to turn them into uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez supporters. But I can tell you that if you address their material conditions, you can turn the volume down a little bit. And, and these people and this is important and something nobody wants to talk about. Trump, the Kochs. All these people, they know how to manipulate those people. Yeah. They know how to lie to them. They know how to give them conspiracy theories. They know how to play upon their paranoias, their, their prejudices. We have to get them out of the equation. So then all we have left is that um, that 1% power structure that is poisoning people. Because when the Republican Party, the Republican Party is completely incoherent. They have no actual plan or platform. All they have is fear mongering. All they have is apocalypticism and, and, and uh, you know, race baiting and misogynist uh, uh, chauvinism. If we can start to turn that down over on the edge, we can start having conversations about how this country should be run and we can start exposing where the rot is. And I actually think the conversations that I'm having and the people that I'm talking to, it seems like people are starting to understand that. And I think Trump was like one of those, um, you know, it's like one of those things where the paint flex off the wall and you start to realize, oh, there's mold under there or yeah. there's structural damage. And so I actually think right now that I am, I'm more hopeful than I've been in years, but that doesn't mean that I'm in denial of how bad it is. I, I think you have to understand that this is a really, really dire situation right now. The challenge seems like we're trying to convince people who have it in their bones now that government is the enemy, yep. that government can be useful and helpful, you know, and, and that's really at the core of so much of this is, you know, they, they teach their voters to hate the government you know, and also resent the government for not helping them. You know, there's a, such a, a paradox there that is really hard to get past. You know, if you go into Giles County or Lawrenceburg here and, you know, you talk to people, they, they don't want anything to do with the government. And then they'll also say, and the government never did anything for me. You know, it's, it's really tough to get past that. I, I want to let you go. I appreciate you doing all this. My last question for you is, you know, if you had to kind of predict where things are going from here, uh, where do you, where do you think we're going? Oh man. Um, you know, I've, I've been doing this research. I've been keeping an eye on the far right for a while. Um, my instincts had been telling me that this summer was going to be ugly. Um, I, you know, with the, with the pandemic sort of like slowing down and people coming out, I had a weird feeling that there was going to be some stuff going down. Um, this Flynn and Trump 
like in concert. And it's obvious that all it's not just QAnon stuff. It's not just Alex Jones types. Like I'm talking about really high level Republicans are talking about coups. They're talking about overthrowing of elections. Um, It's really worrisome. Uh, I would not be shocked if we would see something in the next few months, um, some type of violence, some types, some, and, and you brought up the Cokes and all these people. I wouldn't be shocked to see some sort of an astroturfed, like uh, Tea Party reopen movement type fake <laughs> populist movement. Um, I, I, I really want to believe that people are going to wake up about this threat and that there is hope. So I, I'm going to I'm going to keep hoping that. But I, I again, I have to tell people that I think the next few months, um, it's not just going to be the midterms. Everyone, and because we're taught that it's all elections, right? Oh, well, now we got two years. Now we got four years. That's not how any of this works. So I, I think the next few months are going to be really, really key. Um, and I, I, I just hope that people start listening to the warning because it is, uh, it's, it's getting hot real fast. JY, JY thanks for joining us. And his podcast is Muck, Muckrake. Say it again. Muckrake Podcast. Definitely on Twitter at JY Sexton. JY, thanks for making the time. Thanks, buddy. Stay safe. That's JY. Definitely give him a follow. I'm glad he's optimistic. That helps me feel a little bit more optimistic, but honestly, I'm not. I'm not. I I feel really uh, glum about our prospects here. I guess maybe that's because I live in Tennessee and I know how immovable so many of the forces are here, Um, but I just, I don't see how we come back from the ledge on a lot of this stuff. And I worry that Democrats being in control of the House, the Senate, and the White House is sort of providing a smokescreen for all of the attacks on, you know, our laws at the state level and, you know, making us feel more comfortable than we should feel in general. And that's my concern. Uh, I know JY shares it. And I hope more people share it because, you know, you can never really go wrong uh, overestimating how fearful we should be (laughs) right now. So I hope you'll join me in being terrified. Have a great day, everybody.